Episode 48. Welcome back to another episode of the Whitetail Bloodline Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Sauters, and you guys are going to enjoy this one. I got Tim Palmer. He's one of my favorite guys to talk whitetails with. Have him on this episode, and we're talking ground and pound, hunting some whitetails, mainly hunting rut whitetails on the ground, but we talk about a bunch in here, from public land whitetails to private land whitetails, but Tim's passion is public land, so we talk about a whole lot in this episode. It's a fun one. Tim's a pretty wild guy. We got a lot in common, so I enjoyed this one a lot recording it, and uh, there's going to be some more in the future, I'm going to tell you that, so without further ado, let's get Tim on the phone, and appreciate you guys listening. on Tim. Hey, not much, man. What are you up to? Not much, man. Just sitting here relaxing. Had the day off. Right on, right on. Yeah, we worked this morning for a few hours, but then it decided to pour down rain on us, so had to get out of the tree and pack up for the day. So we had pretty pretty slow day today, too. Okay, okay. So uh, you guys been grinding still? Where are, you, where are you guys hunting at now? Uh, right now we got about two weeks off till, uh, Pennsylvania opens up. So we've been okay. trying to chase some geese and, uh, I own my own business. So we try to, when, we're, when nothing's really in, we try to work as hard as we can. Cause the guys that work for me are actually the guys that film with me. So, uh, hey, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. It works out pretty good. Like Boomer and Jama work for me and then. They also, we all hunt together and film together and do all that stuff together. So it works out pretty slick when we're not working yeah, out hunting. Yep, man. We got to get together sometime soon. Hopefully this season, man, get together and uh, do a little yeah. collab video or something. Yeah. You be- guys are grinding on that public land a lot more than we have. This is basically our first year diving into it. So you could yeah. teach us quite a bit, I'm sure. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a learning curve, man. And like, I dang sure don't claim to be an expert at it, but, uh, I really enjoy the the challenge of it, you know, like it's just a yep. whole different animal, whole different yeah, animal. It, it definitely is. Like the deers, they're just, they're different deer, man. They're smarter and oh, especially yeah. like us, we're chasing these more mature bucks. Like I'm not going to be too picky this year in Kentucky, like a decent, like a good two-year-old walks out in front of me. I'll, I, honestly, I'll probably shoot it just depending. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, just because it's my first year, but uh, to get on these like three, four year olds and even more mature bucks for guys who've been getting into it longer than we have, it's uh, they're a different beast too, man. They've been on those properties for a few years, so yep. they kind of know what the average hunter's trying to do. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. We uh, we still hunt a decent amount of private ground, um, you know, just by permission only. We don't own any leases or anything like that, but you know, we get permission, you know, just like anybody else. You know, we try to be finding new spots all the time um we'll still hunt a lot of public ground but you know i I never turn down a good piece of private if i can if i can get permission on it you know it's it's nice but the deer are definitely different there than they are on the public it's definitely yep. it's, it's kind of a, a a nice relief for us when we get a nice little area we can slip in on private and kill one just because it's uh it's a little bit easier sometimes but oh well in kentucky that's the the public or the private was supposed to be the spot that we got on them but then we had people blow us out of our private spot so we had to grind it out on the public and try to make it happen so yeah it just works out that way sometimes but we're going to try to do some door knocking next year in Kentucky like we might do a little bit this year but we've already got some places we've looked at Dylan just got his boat running so we got a new boat we can get some more access to some different pieces of public that the average guy is not going to hit so we're excited to do that i think we're gonna test route this weekend yeah 
I think that's big key to the public land game is just getting where, you know, a the spots that nobody else is getting to by boat access or river access or just being willing to put the miles on your feet or finding those little spots like you guys were saying the other day about jumping that buck um, that was real close to the real close to the parking area. You know, like sometimes there's a lot of those little honey holes that people are walking right past, you know, and I think the key to the public is either being willing to go the extra mile or knowing when to just sit down and hunt right where you're at because those are the spots that people aren't finding, you know, that's, yeah, that's exactly what we were going through. Cause we walked by that sign and it was by far the best sign and mm-hmm. clumpy, clumpy shit. So like on average, that's a, that's a buck. And it was some good piles, fresh piles, a couple of days old. And we walked by it and we both were thinking in the back of the head, we should probably sit here. But our problem was we had so much rain moving in that opening week. So yeah. we weren't going to sit, sit through that hour, hour and a half rainstorm that was moving in. So yeah. That killed us and and where we were at too, just from having to hunt in the rain and then also just not having any fresh sign. Like that was, I'm a big sign guy. Like I'll, you know, tracking deer and figuring out where they're traveling and what's traveling where and finding buck tracks and fresh, you know, sign. And then having all that rain every day was so tough to be able to find like that fresh, fresh sign that you want to be able to set up over because it was just raining every day so much yeah, it wasn't like a sprinkle man it was oh. i don't know where you guys are at, but it was pouring on us on the no engines. we were getting like i think an average of like 1.3 to 2 inches of rain every day and being able to like find any and, and the worst part was it would rain from like eight o'clock to like three in the afternoon so we would yeah. just get our hunt in a lot of times and it would like be sprinkling as we were ending our hunt and then by you know, an hour after a hunt, it was just monsoon raining. So all the sign from the night was just totally washed away by the time we were going in to hunt the next day. It was, yep. it was tough. I was also, yeah, it, was, it was tough for sure. Cause in them swamps, you know, I was getting nervous of shooting one because I was like, man, if we shoot one and that joker doesn't go down in the first, you know, 150 yards and we watch him fall, like, these storms are coming like to ever find one in that thick stuff would be dang near impossible. Like it was yeah. tough. That's exactly what we thought. Cause the area we were hunting was like kind of split in two. Like one side was uh, more of your hardwoods and like river bottoms. And just the other side was real swampy. And we didn't even hunt that swamp side for that reason. Exactly. Because on like every deer I've jumped up just about in there, either it runs right through the thickest part of that yeah. area or goes right through the middle of like a swamp. Oh yeah. Yep. So that's that's where they're at, man. That's where they're at, and that tough stuff. Yeah, uh, they'll be hidden up in there, pretty good. Yeah, but uh, all right. So let's get a little background on you, Tim, man. Like who you are. I know who you are, but for people listening, who you are, like where you're from, and uh, a little bit about what you're doing. Like I know you have got the generation outdoors, and you're filming a lot. So just get a little background on you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm Tim Palmer, and I have generations outdoors 24 7 on instagram and generations outdoors on youtube um i really just got into the the big hunting deal like really went full bore into hunting i mean i've hunted my whole life but uh really got serious about it uh, i guess starting in 2019 um would have been really the year that i started going a lot i was a professional rodeo cowboy for 10 years i rode bareback horses and the PRCA, IPRA, and uh, which is Professional Cowboy Rodeo Association and International Professional 
Rodeo Cowboys Association. And uh, so I did that basically for a living for a lot of years. And I didn't have a lot of time to hunt. Like I'd maybe hunt five, six days a year just because I was on the road so much traveling all over the country. And um, then I ended up retiring due to some kind of career long injuries that had been nagging me. And I just decided to hang it up. So once I ran in Bronx, man, it ain't for the faint of heart, dude. That's some, that's some ruthless dudes. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. It's the best life ever. I mean, like I would never take back a second of it. I mean, it showed me the world and I made a ton of friends and had a lot of, a lot more success than I ever dreamed I would have. Um, when I started, you know, I just did it for fun Mm -hmm. at first, but then it became a job basically for a lot of years and I loved it. But you know, when I quit, when I retired, um, I went through a really big transition in my life because I went from just everything revolving around rodeo to really, I didn't have anything to shoot at. You know, I didn't have a career or anything like that. Like most guys in their late twenties have. And so hunting had always been something I loved. fishing. had always been something I loved. The outdoors was something I loved. I just never was able to dedicate time to it. And so I killed my first Pope and young deer in, um, I think it was 2019 and self-filmed it. And we made our first videos that year. I'd been self-filming just for myself for years on the days that I would hunt, but, and I loved it. Like I I've killed big deer and, you know, had a lot of success, but just, you know, never really went all in, you know, balls of the wall with it. And once I retired, like I had to have something to put my energy in. Cause I am a all or nothing person. I'm like a, wide open freaking send it 24 7 just go 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 kind of guy and when i i had to accept that i was done rodeoing i kind of just had to divert that energy or i would have probably gone insane mentally uh oh kinda, yeah okay, I, you're a journaling junkie you gotta be a little bit man see it has yeah. something cure that oh yeah oh yeah and hunting was always when I, I i took a couple months there when i retired and i was like i gotta find something and i was like the only thing i can compare to the adrenaline of riding bronx and rodeo and was hunting you know the killing oh, yeah. deer was like the only thing that i could or even a regular just any deer really was you know, a big game animal was about the only thing I could compare. And so that was a huge, huge part of, I would say if I hadn't had that, I probably would have gone nuts, dude. Cause I did like, I, I'll be straight up. Like depression is a thing, you know, like and oh, yeah. I, when I hit that wall that I realized I had to retire, like I didn't know what the heck to do. And so I just started pouring my life into the outdoors and really learning and soaking up all the knowledge I could, um, from guys I knew that were great hunters to, you know, podcasts like this, you know, uh, YouTube. I mean, I watched every good hunting show on YouTube. I got into, um, I start, I, you know, I had all the, bought all the whitetail adrenaline DVDs. Those guys, I'll get into that more, but later, but those dudes like watching the way they hunted and just spotting and stalking stuff, it just changed my world. I was like, dude, that's what I'm going to do and yeah but I, I need to look up those guys more like i know who they are but i haven't like watched a whole dude, lot they, of videos they're, they're, they're like the best that, that does it don't you think they're the, they're the baddest dudes on the planet i mean when it comes to the knowledge that those guys have when you get to talk to those guys like knowledge that they have and they show 
is just insane. I mean, I truly think like the hunting public, I feel like gets so much publicity on YouTube and stuff for, you know, like Zach Farrenball is a killer. Like he's a straight mm-hmm. up killer and he spots and stalks. But um, I believe a lot of what he started to get his kind of um, what inspired him to really go that style more was i believe the white tail adrenaline guys because they just started mainstreaming that and really like i shouldn't say mainstreaming because they're as far from mainstream as you can freaking get but they are like watching them really inspired him and so um but for me those guys were huge inspiration to me of like man i want to do this but i don't want to just be like nothing against the mainstream outdoor channel guys but i just i don't really you know freaking sitting in a box blind over a food plot isn't what gets me off like i don't that's not that's not my cup of tea like i want to be out grinding and crawling and brawling with them as those guys say like i want to be out there doing it real and and those guys are just relatable too that's like those guys that you see on these hunting shows and stuff it's just not relatable to the, Uh, the average hunter and those guys are because anything they're doing you legit can go do it you know you can go do it I'm so pumped for their new season of Uncuffed because this year the their new DVD set that's just coming out, um, they did some door knocking and got some permission and spot and stop deer on private property, you know, but okay. the way that their rules they set up for it, they couldn't have previous permission or a relation to those people. It was just roll up on the door, knock on them, say, Hey man, this is who we are. This is what we do. And we want to hunt your property and getting permission like that. And they killed some giants on private this year, but up until this, it's been all public land, completely public land. Yeah. That's kind of our mission too, because we, we do have private, but it's not big private. Like our privates are less than a hundred acres. Most of them less than 50 acres. So it's just, they're yep. pretty high pressure too. Cause like my family property, it's, I mean, just about every neighbor hunts, and then uh, our farm property, it's a little bit better because one of the, the neighbors has like the biggest chunk around there with good property. They manage it as well. And they shoot like they're they're honestly more strict than I, we are. They shoot like four and five year olds and above. Yeah. But uh, so we got that going. But yeah, that's why we want to dive into public, man, because I, I got this private little bit of private uh, properties pretty figured out. Like it's, it's mm. not too hard to figure those out. So I wanted a new challenge. Like I knew I was not going to be near as, as good as, as I am on these private pieces just because you can spend so much time and put cameras on it. And especially if you got 10 years of history with a property like I do, my family property, you know it pretty yep. good before even going into the season. Like some things yep. change. I but, think uh, the public land, man, it changes daily. Yeah. Don't, wouldn't you say? 100%. It's it's 100%. And that's where, to me, like, I, I love the challenge of it because, for me, the uh, – I think private land, like, I have a piece that I've hunted – my family's hunted for years, and I killed, you know, a couple good bucks off of it, and I could go out there every year and kill deer. But I became so – methodical you know it would just came well i'm going to this stand or that stand i'm going to that hedgerow or that corner i'm going to that ridge or that field and i just did the same thing every day the same way and really it never i killed deer but it never made me a better hunter you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of guys out there and i would i probably would take some hate for this but there's a lot of guys that are big time mainstream hunters that I have personally talked to who have watched stuff of things that I've even 
had on camera and whatever that have gone, dude, like, how do you even do that? Like, how do you go locate those deer? How do you go find these areas to hunt? How do you get in a position to kill a mature deer without months of scouting, food plots, trail cameras, mineral sites, like all that? Like, how do you learn that? Like, how do you understand that? And they're, they're, they're in the world's eyes. They're great hunters, but really they're great killers. They walk into a stand, they sit there and they kill a deer but they're but when it comes to truly like old school like Native American crawling and brawling and finding stuff, hunting, really hunting, becoming a hunter, woodsmanship and everything, definitely yeah, dying yeah. Off. don't know they don't know the first part of it, and it, and it's yeah. it's a uh, and it's nothing against them. That's just the way they are. That's just how they learn. But like I love being that well rounded, like to know that I can confidently go in and be successful you know, in an area, obviously you're only as good as your location that you're hunting, but there's a lot of areas that people don't even realize how good the hunting is, you know, just cause they've never put the boots on the ground or the hours in the woods. Yeah. What I've noticed with just this your first year going into public hard is these deer will be hunkered up in a little area and you might walk right by them. Like I went and checked uh-huh. this one spot and hunted it Saturday morning, got in there and, uh, end up a deer come walking right to me right at first light about 10 minutes before shooting it was blown at me i couldn't tell what it was but it was real close and that location is it's prime but it's super easy to get to it's just one of those spots everybody looks like overlooks because you got to do a little bit walking down the road it's not right next to the parking yeah oh yeah yeah the deer deer on public land are different like it's it's cool to it's cool to watch them and it's cool to see like just to to see their behavior and how they function and how they survive because truly you can't be stupid on public land and live like yeah a four-year-old buck on public land that joker's smart because oh, yeah. he's got he, he he don't have to get lucky one day out of the year on the opening of gun season on private where larry joe and jeff go push out the thicket by the bean field you know he's got to be yeah. lucky every day from october till january you know he's got to be he's got to be on his toes 24 7 or he's gonna get shot like that's just how it goes yeah i'm say the the first part of the season this year we kind of wanted to we were kind of hunting closer to the the parking just because it wasn't getting as much pressure but it's got quite a bit of pressure now like on saturday i walked in there to go grab my blind and there were six trucks sitting in there so i was like damn i ain't walking back i'll blow somebody's hunt up for sure Yeah. yeah no doubt no. So uh, I'm guaranteeing, just especially the mature bucks, they're either pushed onto those private pieces right there around it, or they went into the swamp by by this point of the season already. I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh yeah. Them suckers done found them a briar thicket back in the bottom of that swamp where they're they're just gonna stand up, browse around, do their thing, and nobody's gonna find them. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. But uh, one thing we're gonna talk about this episode is I'm just getting into it. Just started doing it this year for the most part on the ground is uh, ground and pound hunting, man. Yeah, and, uh, you've you've had some success doing that, so I want to kind of get into that. Yeah, dude, that's uh, so it's it kind of stemmed for me from when I was young. I was able to I did a bunch of hunting out west. I ranched out in Wyoming and Colorado and a bunch of different places. And out there, you know, that's a very very well known i mean you spot and stock mule deer you spot and stock antelope you spot and stock elk you know you you hunt on the ground you're not sitting in a tree stand and i always loved that style just because i got 
ADHD or whatever. I don't, I've never diagnosed, but I can't sit still very long. Very yeah. good. You know, I hate just sitting there waiting. Like I would rather make something happen and get lucky than I would just sit there for 12 hours. And yeah. so I love the simplicity of it. And also there's just nothing like it of being on the ground having an opportunity to harvest a deer on the ground whether it's a doe or a buck or anything especially a mature deer though you have your mature deer walk in at under 40 yards and you're on the ground like it's gnarly dude like you're you're just it's a whole nother level like i've yeah, it's almost primal man because i yeah. didn't have those fawns walk right up on me and it, that was crazy for me oh yeah I've had so many encounters. So basically the way my season goes is I, I hunt out of a saddle um, for the first couple months of the season, like for September, October. Although in Kentucky, I did do some spotting and stalking on some areas. I hunted the ground some. Um, and it's tougher in the early season, but come November, I won't sit in a tree once. Like, come November in PA, in Indiana, in Illinois, Ohio, Missouri, wherever we wind up going, I will not sit in a tree. I like to cover ground. And there's a few keys that, like, I've learned. Um, you know, I heard the I heard it said by the Whitetail Adrenaline guys. Um, a lot of my inspiration comes from that. Um, but... I took a lot of that and now have seen exactly what they talk about, you know, oh, yeah. play out in my own hunts and like playing your wind and being on the ground and like covering ground, especially in the rut is such a key to success because it's mayhem during November, you know, like it's just wild. And like last year, for instance, like, my dad, we in Indiana, we do hunt private property and it's about a 120 acre piece, but only like 60 acres of it maybe is wooded. The rest of it's just open fields. My dad sat for six days, daylight till dark in a tree stand, six days, 72, minimum of 72 hours. And he saw one mature buck. Wow. Yeah. I and that was, in, that was in the rut, right, in November? That was in the rut. Now, he saw deer, and he saw some bucks, but he only saw really one shooter. Flip side, I hunted the same 60, 70 acres of property, of wooded ground, and other than hunt, other than the one little piece that Dad was on, I was moving. Now, when I say moving, I'm not just walking through the woods. Like when I'm hunting from the ground, my binoculars are in my hand, especially in the woods, because it's not open territory like out west. Like you got to be on your toes. And it may take us two hours to go 100 yards because I'm going to be literally walking with my binoculars on top of my bow. And I mean, one step at a time. Sometimes it will be. I'll, I'll take one step every three minutes when a gust of breeze blows through, you know, so that yeah. as soon as a breeze goes and the leaves start blowing, I'll maybe get two or three steps. And then I got to freeze and stay in that shadow till the wind blows again. But in that same six days on the same 60 acres, 
I had over six or eight different encounters with deer, everything from 140-inch 10-pointers to does, small bucks, at under 10 yards that I could have. And ended up, you know, I ended up, I made a big mistake last year. Um, But we found one one area and it was not even a 300 foot by 300 foot peninsula where these does were bedded. And I'm talking in one little spot within a four hour period, we would have six and eight different bucks cruise through that area. One little section that my dad would have never known if I would have been in another tree stand where he was hunting or in one of the other good quote unquote tree stand spots, never would have known that was going on. Yeah, exactly. All day long, dude, from daylight till dark, there were bucks cruising that one little peninsula of land. So is it like is it like swampy kind of land? No, nope. just, it was no. just it was a there was two big ravines that were bedding areas that had a creek flowing through it, like a little creek bottom with the two big ravines that went up to a brushy power line, and then there was just this little hardwood plateau that was probably sixty feet higher than those ravines. And those does were bedded up there. And it was the perfect storm. The wind was blowing right across it. So they could they could literally bed right up there and not they could see and smell everything coming from them from two hundred yards away. And they were just laying up there. They did not give a crap. And there was bucks everywhere, running up there, fighting, doing crazy stuff. So for two days we laid on an opposite ridge at like two hundred yards, glassing, waiting for a mature deer to be up on that ridge with the doe. And then once we saw mature deer up there, we ended up the next morning at like 3.30 in the morning, we crawled up onto that plateau and found us a deadfall up there and tucked into it on the ground. And I mean, it was plum mayhem for like, is that the video? Is that the video I'm thinking where you like draw back and you move to the right? Yeah. Yeah, dude, there was literally like, we only filmed like such a small portion of what happened that day because literally at half of the day we had deer under 30 yards from us on the ground. Like for four straight hours, we had three does and two small bucks bedded at 30 yards. And so you're just right there in that bedding area. Could not move. Like we were stuck and you know, it sucked because I boomer spotted the one big deer that we had seen that I was going to shoot and I thought it was him and I was at full draw and that joker camera angle, you can see him running in, but from where I was at, I couldn't see him and he run into my little opening and stopped and I didn't even look at his antlers. Boomer said he was a shooter. So I shot him and turns out he was a two year old nine pointer, not the like 140 inch pointer that was with him and uh, it messed dang. up, but it was just, those encounters are so amazing. Um, the year before I killed, he was one at 148 and six eights. And we laid on a hillside in the open timber for seven and a half hours with that dude bedded with a doe on lockdown. You know, what's everybody talk about in the, in the rut? Oh, well, you got to catch them when they're moving. Once they go into lockdown, you're never going to see them. Well, you're never going to see them unless you're moving. Unless yeah, you're I've heard, bound. I've heard uh, like lockdown is the best time to sneak in on those bucks all yeah. the time. That joker laid there with his doe for seven and a half hours. We spotted him at seven o'clock in the morning and we laid there from 
7.30. We crawled in. We got as close as we could. We got to like 100 yards, and then he wound up. We couldn't – it was just open timber from there on out, and there was no way we could make a move to get closer. But the night before, we had seen a doe – or a buck come in in the middle of the afternoon cruising that smelled a doe, and that two-year-old went up around him and bumped him and tried to get his doe, and that that buck pushed his doe right to us. And at one point, she was at like 16 yards – and he was at 30 and I couldn't draw on him. I tried to draw on him and she spooked and I ended up having to take a longer shot and I killed him. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't ideal, but, um, we had crazy crosswinds and I ended up shooting him at 60 yards, but we had been on the ground for like 11 days straight crawling. You stuck him at 60 yards? I, well, yeah. So the deal was That's shooting, baby. I see. You, well, Jim. so the actual kill, the actual kill shot was seventy four. Um, what happened was his doe came into sixteen yards, and we're laying there on the ground. Jamo was filming it, and his doe got to sixteen yards, and he was at thirty one yards. And she went behind a tree, and I went to draw on him because getting drawn on a on the ground is the hardest part. Oh yeah. And he had no clue we were there, but his doe spooked and he literally would not let her go away from us because there was that small buck that had bumped them was back there. And so he mm -hmm. cut her off and angled her back towards us. And they came down in the ravine below us. And I did, I, my shot was perfect up and down. I just didn't account for like the 15, 20 mile an hour crosswind. And mm -hmm. I let it go at 60 and I stuck him right through the throat, like right through the neck. And that buck was so rutted up, he didn't even know he was shot. He, really? he spun around, pinned his ears, and went charging at that other buck. I don't know if he thought that dude chucked a rock at him or what, but <laughs> he literally spun around. And, I mean, I had hit one of his jugulars, we found out. So he was just gushing blood. But I decided in that – I was like, dude, I don't know how far this joker's going to run – so if he takes off, so I need to get another arrow in him and I didn't even arrange it. I just guessed it at 70 something and he was walking and I shot him again. My arrow, if you watch it in slow-mo, the arrow was perfect on his vitals, but he was walking and in the wind, I couldn't stop him or nothing. And I hit him right through both femoral arteries. He was walking right to left and my arrow, as he was walking at 74 yards, my arrow was perfect up and down, and I hit him right through the hips, but I hit both femoral arteries, and he went 60 yards and fell over. That's awesome. That's shooting, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was a lot of – it was not how – I got a lot of hate for it on YouTube. A lot of people were eating me alive for taking a shot, but I was like, you know what? Like, hunting is a very unperfect world, and when you've been laying, yeah. in, laying on the ground for – 11 straight days trying to kill one and you have a beautiful four and a half five-year-old 10-pointer walk out you're gonna you got to do you got to make those split second decisions to send it sometimes because you don't get second chances nope you don't was that on public or was that that indiana piece? that was that indiana farm that okay. was that spot where we hunt there and that's kind of our redemption for the year like it, it's the it's a crazy property i missed it 200 inch deer there a couple of years ago I and mean, there's giant deer there um 
But, Dude, Indiana's a sleeper state, man. You punted it. I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you shot at a 200-inch deer, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a great state, man. I love it. Uh, I think this year we probably – some of the guys, I'll be hunting that farm, obviously, because it's really good. But I think the guys may hunt some pop, or, uh, public there um, somewhere in Indiana during that well, week. Come, come to right where I'm at, man. Y'all are welcome to crash on my couch. or I got to pull out couch and a bed, so. Heck yeah. I can I can put you on some great properties, dude. Within where I live, dude, there's there's just so much property, like tens of thousands of acres. Mm-hmm. So and I, we've scouted quite a bit of it and uh dude, there's just giants every every year. I got buddies that hunt public strictly and they kill big bucks every year during archery season usually. Like most of the time they're getting it done right there in that scrape season. Like right when them bucks start hitting scrapes, that's when a yep. lot of people are killing these public land bucks. Yeah, that's a good time to kill big deer on public land in that pre-rut, like when they're really active. Um, that's a good time to kill them because it's more predictable. So you can find where they're traveling, what they're doing. But that was kind of that's kind of my every year. Like last year in PA, I hunted in the month of October, from October first to the thirty-first. I hunted twenty-eight times in the October, and several of them were all-day hunts. Um, yeah. But, when when do you start doing all days? Do you even do it at the beginning of the year, or are you waiting yeah, towards that the I'm rut? Doing it pretty well because I was the the deer I was hunting. There was two deer I was hunting. One was about a hundred fifty inch nine pointer, like big old mainframe deer, and then the other one ended up guy shot him opening day of rifle season, and he ended up scoring one ninety six, and he was a giant and. Mm. I did some insane stuff to try to kill that deer on the ground in October because I, it was just, I was having to hike so far. I literally, the only way to access where I needed to be with the wind, the way the dominant wind is there, I had to literally park almost three miles away on the other side of a mountain, like literally on the backside of a mountain and hike over the mountain every morning. I was doing it at like three thirty in the morning. I would be up there hiking over that mountain and because i put in so much work i wasn't just gonna go for a three day or three hour hunt i mean i was i was after that buck had several encounters with him had him at 40 yards the one time bedded and ended up not being able to kill him he was bedded with like another 130s eight and uh just didn't didn't happen and uh i hunted him so hard i was i was so wore out it was very nice to be able to go to indiana and hunt private land where i could see big deer and kill them but <laughs> yeah when you're when you're putting in that much time dude it's it's easy to get burnt out because uh yeah. what's the main dude from white tail adrenaline like he had that happen to him this year jared yeah he he hit a big wall actually it was probably two years ago um he hit a really big wall and that's why they didn't even produce a video last year i don't think but when you're going I can see it dude, especially those guys because they've been doing what 20 years doing what they're doing yeah 13 or 14 years they've been making dvds and like he does all the editing which i'm kind of become friends with them and like he was telling me like some of them guys were telling me um you know the amount of footage they have from those hunts like it's it's literally like hundreds close to thousands of hours of footage that they have to go through when you've got two or three camera crews going like tanner tanner last year he hunted 120 days straight 120 Damn. days dude i can't even imagine 
all like August all the way through to November, December, January, she was on the he was on the grind, on the road hunting, filming. And that's the crazy, way, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's literally hundreds of hours of footage. And then Jared was doing all the editing on his own. So like in order to make like this next DVD that's coming out, it's twelve hours of hunting footage. Six DVDs. Wow. That's going to be awesome. I love that they do the DVDs, dude. There's just something nostalgic about the DVD. I love it, dude. Like, they got digital download and stuff, but I just pre-ordered the DVDs. Shout out to Whitetail Adrenaline. Y'all, if you haven't heard about it, go to whitetailadrenaline.com. This is not a sponsored ad, but go buy you their pre-orders because you'll save yourself $25. I just got but i'm all about that man like you'll see a lot of these podcasts where you can tell who they're talking about sometimes but they won't bring up the names like this is what my podcast is man if you're a badass and we like what you're doing we're gonna bring you up i don't care Mm -hmm. if it's like we're not affiliated with you we just like those guys we brought up whitetail adrenaline multiple times on this podcast just because they're the they're basically the best at what they're doing dude and and the knowledge like i could dude i could just talk for I could talk your ear off for five hours about stuff that I've seen from them. Everything to how to how to know where you're going to find bucks to ways of stalking whitetails. I mean, stalking a whitetail deer is unheard of, and these guys successfully do it every year on magnums. I'm talking. I'm not talking about shooting two 110 inch deer a year off the ground. I'm talking shooting 190s, 200s, 180s on public ground. Yeah. and they're just awesome dudes too they're just oh they're just a wild group they're kind of like me and you are we got a little wildness in us oh yeah they're they're a trip man they're a blast but uh yeah man let's go into like a couple like situations and you've been ground yeah. hunting for a while yeah and uh oh actually i got one question for you yeah you've hunted mule deer before right yep what okay since uh, you've obviously been stalking white you've been stalking mule deers i heard a lot of people have their opinions on this which one's easier to kill a mule deer or a whitetail mule deer 100 percent. that's what i've always said i've heard people say mule deer i was like dude because i was born in utah so i've never like hunted them but i've went out there and stalked them with my cousins messing around and so much easier to stalk a mule deer oh yeah yeah mule deer is it's still just dumb bro they're like big rabbits yeah you gotta be good you gotta have your wind right your wind is such a key to stalking and Jared goes into a lot about that on like how like a lot of times when a big buck's bedded, he's going to be facing directly downwind. So when you're if you find a big buck bedded, a lot of guys want to come straight downwind to him. But that's the one area he can't smell. Yep. So he's paying attention mostly to that area. So in order to make a move on a big buck, a lot of times you got to run that crosswind. And you got to come at him from not directly upwind of him because he's going to smell you. But you got to learn how to play that line of not being directly downwind of him so that he can, or however, I always screw that up, downwind, upwind, whatever. You can't come from directly where he can't smell you because he's going to be staring right at that spot. That's where he's going to be looking, where he can't smell. But yeah, you, I've, I've noticed that too, man. Like yeah. when I've jumped up these bucks, they're usually – not, not all the time, but a lot of times they're kind of sitting in a blind spot from where the wind's blowing over their back, so yep. they don't have to really pay attention to that. And then they're looking most of the time where they think the intrusion's going to come from because right yep. next to my parents' house, it's like right next to the field. It's only like 150 yards. I've jumped up giant in late season. It's always yep. late season, 
like during our muzzleloader in like uh, end of December. Mm-hmm. They'll be better on the side of this hill, and uh, it's real thick, but they'll be just probably 10, 20 yards off the top of it, just on the yep. downside. Yeah, and they're looking across this like little valley and looking up like where it goes up to my parents' house. It kind of goes up, and they're watching that area just because yeah. they'll smell you if you're coming from where the other house is and where anybody else would come from, and then they'll see you come from that way. And I've noticed that in many places, like where we jumped yep. up that buck. Yeah, he was he was on the edge. It was, there was the fence. He was on the public side of the fence. The wind was blowing kind of to his left, more back like away from him, and then we believe he was looking towards the parking lot. Cause when we jumped him up, we came from the other way, but we're pretty sure, bro. The first time we walked in there, he was bedded up. He just stayed hunkered up. Yep. hundred percent. That is a hundred percent. Right. You that's uh, and it's the same with mule deer and, and whitetail. Like they're going to both play their wins, you know, nine times out of 10, if you get busted, especially by a mule deer, it's going to be because they winded you, your wind shifted and they caught you. That's the one way to really, blow mule deer hunt is getting winded you know they're gonna head out of town real fast but spotting and stalking mule deer is fun but it's definitely a lot more i guess it would be if you're wanting to get into spotting and stalking whitetails go on some mule deer hunts and get your feet wet in it and learn with that because it's a little more forgiving i would say for sure Dude, I would love to do that with you and your squad. Like maybe next year, go hit some uh, a backpack in Colorado or Wyoming somewhere yep. with an over-the-counter tag. That would be a fun trip. Yeah, we're talking about going to South Dakota next year because they got good over-the-counter tags, and you can kill. There's some good whitetails and good muleys out there that you can get on um, in early season. Like September 1st, I think their season opens, and we were talking about we're already kind of putting that in the works of heading heading west to do that next year um, okay that's a good one too because i actually used to live in south dakota and i was talking to my dad about this asking him if we still had connections yep. and uh we do we still have some connections with some like old farmers out there so i'm gonna give them a holler it's just where they live it's it's just your field it would be you'd be spotting stalking for sure it's just big yeah. fields with wind breaks every mile basically them x yep. that are wind breaks and i don't remember it and uh, I couldn't even tell you what part of the state it is, but I know we lived in Watertown. Yep. So. Yep. I don't remember. I've heard of that, but I've never been there. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of something we're wanting to do next year because it's it's going to be a fun trip for sure. Target they got risk. cool laws there. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Don't hold me to this. But if it's not posted, I'm pretty sure South yeah. Dakota is one of those states you can hunt it. Yeah, same with North Dakota. North Dakota and South Dakota, I believe. And again, I'm not sure about South Dakota, but I know for a fact North Dakota, if it's not posted, you can hunt it if it's private. Yeah. And they got, at least back in the day, this is 20 years ago when we lived there, 20 plus years ago. Yeah. You used to be able to even like sit right next to the road and shoot geese and stuff. Oh, know, yeah. Certain in spots like that. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, let's go into a couple, like, situations. I'm sure you've been bumping around through a bunch of states, so I'm sure you try to put some spot and stocks on just about every topography of a whitetail, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's go into a swampland, man. Just your normal swampland. Let's uh, let's use my property that we've been hunting as, like, an example. On the, the bottom side of, your, like, your south side, there's a river. Flows left to right. Yeah. Basically the border of your public. On the right side, it's just cut the property. Man, on the right side, it's your river bottom, little hardwoods, like trees that have been growing 20, 25 years or something. They're not huge, but they're not real small. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, it's your typical swampland, like ponds all throughout it, just thickness everywhere. You're basically, there's only like 
little hardwoods that you can walk down to get through all this unless you're going to have some waders on and walk through it. Yeah. So, like, what would you do going into that blind? Like, where would you start off trying to ground a pound? So, I would want to hunt um, the edges. You know, like, for me, um, if I'm going into a swamp, um, J-Mo and I did this last year um, on his buck, which we didn't ground and pound it, but we killed one out of a saddle, and we were literally eight feet off the ground. Um, but we went into a swamp, and there was one little – finger of woods like you were talking like just 25 year old growth trees that are big around as your thigh and there was one little section of that that was like a little finger that went out in and we just slipped in there and ended up there was some fresh sign traveling that edge those transition lines are huge when you go from um from a really thick, dense bedding area like a swamp um, where these deer are going to be bedded down in these little, they love willow trees. If you can find willow trees, that's generally where them suckers are going to be bedded under because they got shit. They got a root ball that they can get up off the wetness with. That's a really good rule of thumb is those, especially bucks love the willows. They will bed right up under those willow trees. And And for this property, sorry to interrupt you, like your yeah. last 100, 150 yards going to the river is like your grassy. Like uh, yep. that would be, that'd be one of your main edges that goes throughout the whole property. Yep. Yeah. So those are, those transition lines. So what I've learned is like for that instance, that night that he shot this buck that I'm talking about, he wanted to, again, this is his first year really hunting public land in another state and his initial we found some doe trails some pretty heavily traveled trail right coming mm-hmm. out into that little patch of woods on the edge of that swamp and his gut feeling was dude we need to get set up here in the middle of these trails and i said well we're here to kill a buck and nine times out of ten that buck is not going to walk directly from a swamp right into open timber yep i've that, noticed that that edge He's going to go down into those little saplings, little willows, and he's going to weave through that where he can be watching that open timber and work his way up and pop out on that transition line and be able to work out into the open timber up into whatever he's going to feed or whatnot. And in that case, we had some private corn behind us. So we set up right on that transition line, like where to our right, we could hardly shoot, but we knew if there was a deer, he was going to hug that line. And sure enough, I mean, we'd never set foot in there in our life. And we were in a tree as big around as my leg. We were eight foot off the ground. Like, we couldn't even get anywhere set up in there. We might as well have been on the ground. And that's that's how this property is, man. If you're going to get in a tree in most of that swamp, you're not going to find a big tree unless you're in those fingers. Yep, yep. And that joker come right up, walked right out to that point, cut into that little transition line. And worked right down to us, and he shot him at twelve yards. And Let's go! That's awesome for me feet too. From yeah, I mean, literally, like my platform was set at like maybe ten foot, and JMO was like at eight foot, and literally the deer came right under me, to my right, and I literally had to bend my knees up, filming him, and like hang backwards so I could get the shot on camera. And JMO's JMO's cam hit my leg after the shot. It was he literally had to put his 
between my legs so that he could make the shot. And he did. And I mean, he smoked him. He went 60 yards, but like it was those little areas like that. You're a lot of people, you know, when you're ground and pounding, whatever, hanging hunt. However, a lot of times those areas in that thick stuff, you got to learn those transition lines. Like that is your key to success is especially on public land on private. You may have a buck just walk blatantly yeah. out through the open woods. Cause you know what? He's not afraid for his life, but those deer, if they're moving, they're going to be hugging those lines. They're going to be staying in the thick as much as they can to, you know, find a spot. You know, we had a deal on, um, public in PA last year with a buck that we spotted in a swamp. And dude, I'm talking, this joker was literally there's a, it's a national, it's a state park. So literally there's freaking trails everywhere for people to walk. And I told JMO, I said, it was just wide open swamp. Like you're saying like Russian olive and freaking just chest high grass and goldenrod. There was one willow tree down in that thick stuff and i said there's gonna be a buck bedded under that tree that's, I, i've never heard the willow thing that's awesome dude. yeah that's, i just i'll had, definitely keep that in mind i just had a gut feeling dude and i kid you not we crawled in there and i'm like there's gonna be a buck come out of here and there was a little finger again a transition line of small sapling trees that come up out of that and we sure enough we crawled in there it took us like three hours we crawled through that goldenrod and got to where we could see this little opening where that willow was. And I mean, sure enough, that freaking buck walked right out and went to go right into that row of saplings to feed up towards the hill and can't make it up. This joker's at 31 yards wearing our ghillie suits laying there. Jamo's just about to draw back on this dude. He was maybe 120 inch deer. And all of a sudden we hear there was two Asian photographers walking down the trail, like 60 yards. <laughs> and this buck just bounded back off in and we never got a chance at him. But wow. it was like, it was really cool. <clears throat> excuse me. To literally just look at a spot on a plain topography, no ridges, nothing, just big old swamp and say, that's where, if there's one in there, that's where he's going to be. Yeah. The swamp land, like, especially this property, like, especially in the rut, it's kind of an easy property to hunt. Like, how I'm thinking, I haven't, I haven't hunted in the rut, but just how the deer are going to have to travel and how the bucks are going to have to travel that property. Yep. I feel like if I still have my tag, I'll be able to get it done in the rut. It's just because the topography, how it works with all these swamps, that buck ain't going to run right through a pond. He's going to skirt that pond most of the time. Yep. I mean, they're not deep ponds. Some of them are a little deep, but. Yeah, he's going to be cruising those edges. He's going to be cruising. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That is that's one thing I did. I got a little shit for it. I went and scouted that like midsummer, and my mission was I wasn't looking for fresh sign right there. I mean, I kind of yeah. was, but, but uh, I was just mainly going to walk the property because you look at it on top of it and then you go put boots yeah. on the ground. And you're like, wow, I can't walk through any of this. Yeah. That's a big spot that that's a big tip that I would say to people put your time in in the summer. I mean, there is, I have spent, dozens of hours this year on two pieces of property on public that are the thickest nastiest crap you've ever seen yep that's how this is we're on our hands and knees crawling through these little deer trails that are cruising down through these russian olives that are 20 foot tall and so thick you can't see through them but man a lot of times you crawl through those spots and you crawl for 30 yards to that and all of a sudden it just opens up under there like a canopy 
and it'll be open up under there and it'll be all browsed down. There'll be tons of area and you can shoot 20 or 30 yards in that stuff. But from the outside, if you're not willing to crawl into that, you would never, ever, ever think that you could ever shoot in there. And we went in there this year because several times last year, we heard rumors and we personally saw some absolute magnums come running out of that after dark, that area, you know, people seen them in some fields nearby or whatever. And they thought they were coming from there, but everybody's like, Oh yeah, you can't hunt it in there. And I'm like, yeah, well I crawled through there. I found some spots that, yeah, you can't get in a tree in there, but Mm -hmm. crawl in there and you're willing to put that effort to crawl in there for like, if you're willing to crawl in that first 30, 40, 50 yards to get into where those deer are actually living, where all the old beds are, all the old buck rubs are, all the old scrapes are at, where them bucks are in there, when them does are in there, and they can run does all day long in broad daylight in those patches like that and never be seen by a human. Yep, and that's where they will be. That that, that buck doesn't want that doe to be able to get away, so they try to push him in that spot. Like, I've even heard they'll push them against like highways, push them against fence rows that are like thick fence rows just to try to lock that doe up. Yeah. If you can find a little ridge top or a little bluff that is thick, that a buck can push a doe up onto where he can see and hear from that thick stuff, those bucks will bed that doe down in the middle of that thick stuff and then just pop around and just poke their head up look down over, make sure there's no other bucks coming, poke over to the other side, check the wind where they can smell any other bucks coming, they can see any other bucks coming. And at that point, like, if you can get into that stuff, dude, you're golden because at some point there's going to be a big deer push a doe through there. It's just exactly. It's how it's it's what I've seen in Indiana on that property. It's what I've seen in, I mean, that big deer that I killed in Indiana a couple years ago, there was – the day before we watched a 130 inch buck do exactly what my buck did. He had a doe bedded on the side hill. Another buck came up, bumped him, and he pushed her up onto this flat knoll that was behind us. And so literally when we went in there that morning and glassed that buck on that hillside, I said to JMO, I said, we got to get between him and that knoll because if another buck comes in here and bumps her, he's going to want to get her up onto this top where he can then basically guard her from anything coming. And that's exactly yeah. what happened seven hours later. Yep. That's awesome, dude. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, man, uh, I'm excited, dude. I'm trying to, I'm starting to do that ground and pound. And like you said, it's just, it's just, it's just awesome. Like one of the pros that you were just kind of talking about for being on the ground, instead of having a tree stand, you can move to that sign real quick. Instead of yep. having to break down your whole stand or yep. break your sticks down, climb out of your saddle, you can just move to it. Yep. You can move to that area. If you see bucks cruising in the rut, get there. It don't matter. Get there. You're going to have a deer come through. You're going to have a buck cruise through. When you find that buck trail, you know, how many guys do you talk to in the rut? Man, I've seen these bucks cruising. I've seen three or four bucks cruise through, but they're at like 80 yards, man, and they just didn't come close enough. Well, if you see one cruise in that area, there's going to be other bucks cruising that area. So get there, move yep. your stuff, get there. I mean, you watch hunting public multiple, how many times in the last two years have they killed mature deer or doing the same exact thing on the ground? 
They yep. see where a buck's moving at first light. They see a young buck cruising a buck trail, cutting across them doe trails, and they go, we got to get right there. They get right there. Two hours later, here comes a 140s, 150-inch buck walking down the trail with his nose to the ground, and they kill him at 10 yards. That's just how it works. Those bucks use the same areas, they same travel routes. And being mobile, getting access in and getting access out is such a nice thing about being on the ground because – you can slip in and you can slip out. And if you're taking your time, that's the biggest key I could say is play your wind and take your time. And when I say take your time, take hours. Yeah. If you are that dedicated to kill a big deer, take your time. Take an hour to go 100 yards if you've got to. Because slip in there, get set up good, get out, quiet no impact you're not worrying about i had a chance at that 100 150 inch buck in pa last year that i screwed up big time i knew he was bedded there and my gut said hunt him on the ground and my typical hunter took over and i said no i'm gonna crawl in there it took me two hours to get in there dude i got three sticks up my bow my camera everything's on the ground right I'm in this tree. I get three sticks up the tree. Can't make it up. I go to put my strap around on my last stick to hang my, and I was going to hang my platform right there. And I look over and I hear a stick break and that joker stands up 35 yards from me out of his bed. Standing there on my sticks. Joker never knew I was there. Like Mm. must've just heard something. My wind was perfect. Everything was perfect. He was bedded in this little clump of freaking bushes in this little low spot. And I never knew he was there. I knew he was bedded probably within 150 to 200 yards of me, but I didn't know where he was. And I'm sitting there bear hugging this tree and I just froze. And that dude turned and walked right past me at 25 yards and I could not do a thing. Oh Lord, that'll, that'll get you going. If I would have just trusted my gut, that on set down right there and tucked into some of that brush that joker would have stood up walked right past me and i would but i didn't you know like hey that's a lesson learned though you know oh yeah oh 100 yeah 100 yeah when you're getting into their bedroom unless it is just absolutely unshootable that you have to get up a tree like just hunker down don't freaking move and wait on them. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's your thing? Like you were just talking about the hunting public guys, and a lot of times they'll get aggressive. Like I remember seeing Aaron. They were sitting in a tree stand. I can't remember who was filming them. And they could see this buck working away from them, and they knew he was going to get downwind the way they're working. So they climbed down to their stand, worked down yep. that ridge, and cut him off perfectly. Mm-hmm. So what's your, like, uh, your take on, like, when do you be aggressive? I think I've learned – Nine times out of ten, I've my my motto is if it's not gonna happen, try to make it happen. Yep. And now make your own luck. I'm a, a big believer in that. Make your own luck. Yeah, especially on pr- public land. Because, and I'm not saying go running through the damn woods freaking like an idiot. But there are times, especially on public land, you're gonna blow situations doing that. There's gonna be times where you get busted and the buck runs off. But if you just stayed right where you are, 
Buck's never going to come in. He's going to wind you. He's not going to come close enough. So you're better to take that chance of it working out like that. Play your cards right. Keep the wind in your face. Be silent. Be, be aggressive, especially on public ground. Because if you don't make a move, now, if that buck's working to you and you got an opportunity that it may work out in your favor, don't be an idiot and go running through the damn woods. But, you know what I mean? Like, be smart about it. But if you see that, oh, this sucker's going to feed around this little bench around the corner like that buck did in that video, don't be afraid to get down, keep the wind in your face, and crawl down there and get to us. Because sometimes 20 yards is all you need. Yep, exactly. You know, don't <laughs> be pushing it. Be patient. Do it right. But I 100% agree with getting aggressive because, you know, there's every guy, every hunter you talk to, has got 50 stories of this one time I seen this big old buck, man, and he come to like 60 yards, but then he just, man, he just went down there and circled around that ridge and I never seen him again, you know. Well, you never saw him again anyways. So at least if you'd have gotten down or made a move on the ground, if you're hunting on the ground and crawled around through there, Joker might have popped up at 25 yards and he'd killed him, but at least yep. you tried, you know. You know, I, gave it I like, yeah, 100%. And I also like what you were saying earlier, how you kind of do your saddle hunting and your tree stand hunting, it sounded like, in the earlier part of the, the mm -hmm. year because you, you can't get away with stuff in that early season like you can in the rut because then bucks are a lot more stupid at that time. Uh, the woods are louder. The leaves are louder. Squirrels sound like a big buck running sometimes. And uh, yep. there's just so much going on in that rut. So have you noticed that as well? Is that one of the reasons yeah. why you, you start to hunt? On the ground, those uh, when the rut starts heating up, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's basically when I make my moves. The, the bucks are on their feet; they're moving. There's a lot more activity on the ground. I'm a big fan of rattling, like lifelike rattling. Like, yeah, I was gonna I, ask you about that if you I did any calling. Uh, yeah, I don't use a rattle box or a black rack. I use I actually got a set of probably 160 inch sheds that I use. And I mean, okay. I freaking beat the crap out of those suckers and people would probably laugh at us, but we've rattled up some big deer, you know, rolling around on the ground, snapping brush. Cause I mean, if you've ever heard a buck fight, like it sounds like freaking a pickup truck rolling down a hill with antlers. I mean, yeah, it, dude, wow. they're ruthless, man. I've seen videos of them like fighting in through a middle of a brush pile, like a falling down tree and just oh. pushing each other through it snapping limbs and trees and crashing through brush so if you're sitting up in a tree stand going clink 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 that don't sound realistic you know exactly but you get down there and you put on a fight and there's a lot of chances you're gonna pull one out you know like that's a that's something i really like to do is get to one of those vantage points where i was talking about like a little knoll where i can see down into a creek bottom or I can see down into somewhere and let them have it. Cause that's a good, good tip too on the ground is rutting them in um, or, or rattling them in. That's a real big deal. Yeah. One thing, it's kind of funny, funny story. I remember when I was a young kid, I had to have been younger than eight years old. And uh, especially when I was little, I don't have it as bad as I do. I did then in my older ages, but I used to have like restless legs and I was sleeping and they would kind of kick around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember sitting on the ground with my brother, my older brother, and my legs are doing that kicking around, just making noise. And he's like laughing at me, not even paying attention. And it, 
like piqued the interest of a big old doe, and she ended up working like thirty yards catching us off off guard. Yeah, we had that last year with a little buck. We were just slipping down through this draw, and all of a sudden I turned around and I looked, and this buck had just gotten curious from hearing us and that's how that's actually how we found the plateau where i killed my buck because we had walked right past it we didn't Mm -hmm. even look up there we couldn't see up on top of it and we were just slipping down this little creek bottom but it was dry leaves and that buck a buck he's probably 120 inch deer all of a sudden i turn around and there he is 60 yards from us just popping i just caught a glimpse of him i turned and i just caught a glimpse i'm like stop 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 and this joker walked right up there and stood there at 20 yards or at like 60 yards. And I turned her and we were in a shadow. So he couldn't, he didn't even see us. He just was standing there looking around, but he was so curious because he heard that noise of us walking popped up over that lip. Then, I mean, I turned the camera, got some footage of him and I could have killed him, but he just wasn't a shooter. And I was like, dang, like he's up there. He's must have a doe up there. And that's when we started getting to a position where we could glass that and found out that that's where those does were bedded. And then I ended up killing my buck up there two days later. But that's awesome. Those deer will get life like noise. It's like hunting turkeys, you know, scratching mm-hmm. when you're turkey hunting. Like it's perfectly normal. Like that'll that'll bring birds in sometimes more than calling will. Yeah. Deer. Okay. So uh, do you have any like other tactics that like come to your mind or things that uh, you do on the ground that uh, might help somebody else that's just getting into it like me? I would say being doing your best to conceal yourself is a big thing on the ground. Not necessarily if you're sitting up against a tree and you're not moving a lot of times you're not going to get picked out unless a deer is at six yards. Mm-hmm. If your wind's right, and you're perfectly still, you may not get picked out by a maturity. Are you, yeah. Are you using like a ghillie suit or anything? So I'll wear sometimes I would say half and half. I mean, I'll wear like a little leafy suit, not really a ghillie suit. I think I got me one of them little leafy suits off Amazon that just kind of breaks up your outline. And I'll wear that sometimes. But what we do a lot of times is we'll just take and we'll just throw a couple limbs. Like if we can find a rotten log or something, we'll just throw a limb up like um, up against the tree to just kind of break up our outline, which is a big help when, you know, you can't take time to cut a bunch of brush and make a blind, but if there's Mm -hmm. five or six dead logs laying around and you can just kind of lean them up against a tree, almost like a little TP or something just to break up your outline, that's going to save you when you got a draw on the ground. Because if you're you if you're perfectly still, I've had deer walk freaking ten yards from me and never know I was there if I was completely still. But yeah. if I so much as bat an eye, those deer are gonna be on me in a heartbeat. But if you have just a touch of cover, shadows are a big thing. If you can plan to set up in an area as you're setting up say the sun's going to be setting in the west obviously and you can pick an area where you're in a shaded area like there's a little bushy tree or something that you can get under that's going to be more shaded than the other stuff around you as a deer is looking across that open landscape if they can if you're in that little shadow that will save you a lot of times because the sun is not directly on you if that sun's directly on you you can't get away with nothing but yeah, and I've, have, I've also heard of people like trying to position the setting sun to yep. their back. Yep. Yep. See, I, I do that with turkeys, but with deer, 
I almost like it. Yeah, I like I kind of like it to be off to the one side so it's casting a shadow in front of me like of mm-hmm. a tree so that I can get in the shadow of that tree if that makes sense. Yep, yep, 100%. Because you, if if the sun's directly behind you, you got to make sure you're not, um, you got to make sure you're not skylined by it. Because if yep. it's directly behind you and you move, you got to make sure you got some backdrop. That for sure, for sure. Yeah, that's but, a good point. And I I just bought a little leafy suit. Old yep. uh, Bass Pro is having a buy one get one free. It's just a hundred dollar mm-hmm. suit. I got it for fifty bucks and. It's that darker camo, and I like having that a little bit darker camo, especially on the ground, because it's other than the growth right off the ground, your trees and stuff are are darker. Yeah, especially once you get in the rut, I'm more of a fan of that those darker like colors. That's why I like mossy oak. Mm-hmm. But I actually last year most of the time I wore a hoodie that I bleached. I didn't even wear camo. I just yeah, yeah. bought a bought a like a light gray hoodie that i could then i just took bleach and sprayed it all over it so that it had like tan lines running all over it so it just broke up my outline and uh i just hunted in that heck yeah dude so uh yeah i think we covered quite a bit of stuff on that one man kind of curious like what's going on with you and your squad going into the season the season's already started for us but uh yeah. our real i would say that our real season and like our home station is just around the corner about week and a half two weeks away so yeah what are uh, you guys looking forward to this year right now man we're pumped for for archery and pa i've got some really big deer that we're kind of after got some new places we're hunting we've got some big public land deer we're going to be chasing so right now it sucks but our right now we're doing our absolute best i did one last i only have like five trail cameras but i did one like last minute camera switch this past weekend where i switched a couple spots and really from there i'm staying out of there because pa kicks off here in two weeks and we're going to be hard at it in pennsylvania my wife's hunting with a vertical bow for the first time this year so i'm really pumped to film her and for her to film me um jmo and boomer are going to be filming each other and hunting a lot we'll all be bouncing around filming different people and hunting together and separate you know kind of deal um but that's pretty much our big deal for the first week of October. I mean, I, I won't work it all that week. We'll just hunt all week. And, uh, then I'm supposed to currently right now, I'm supposed to go on a bull moose hunt with my dad in Maine, but due to some family issues with, uh, my aunt and my grandfather just passed away here a couple of weeks ago. And so that's been tough on my mom and my dad and my grandmother and so yeah, much. I hear that, man. Yeah, he may not be able to go on that trip, but if he doesn't, we're just going to pretty much grind it out in PA um, for most of October. Um, Really focus on trying to kill some big deer here because that's a lot of guys around here give us crap because we've killed big deer in other states and they're like, oh, it must be nice. You know, can't do that around here. So one of our big goals is to kind of shut people up and be like, no, we actually can kill big deer here. We were on bigger deer here than we've been anywhere else, you know. Yeah, there's but I, big deer everywhere, man. Even your Maine's, your Pennsylvania's. There's, oh, yeah. there's, there's big deer everywhere. It's oh, just, yeah. They're harder to find in those states. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's that's our October, and then once November hits, dude, we're uh, we're gonna try to be. I mean, I I plan to hunt pretty much every day of November, um, where seasons are open, and our plan is to start, um, 
start in uh, Ohio possibly. And then as soon as we tag out, we're going to be in Indiana the 10th through the 17th or well, the 10th through whenever we kill. Um, but then our plan is just as soon as we fill a tag, we're going to go to the next state. And whether that's Illinois, whether that hunting public land in Illinois, public land in Ohio, we've looked at West Virginia, we've looked at Missouri. Um, we got another guy who hunts out in Missouri. He's going to be filming this year. We got a guy in Arkansas who might be filming for us. Some, uh, Trey may be filming in Alabama and Georgia, um, so we got a lot going on. We got a ton of stuff going on. And heck, if I kill, if we tag out with bucks in the first two weeks of PA, we're probably going to figure out somewhere to go in October. Like we're just going to try yeah. to grind at it really hard and keep moving. As soon as we tag out somewhere, we're going to the next one, you know, just to try to get as many hours in the woods as we can and kill as many deer as we can and make as much content as we can to really, um, my goal is to really make it in this industry and make content as much content as we can. And we've invested a lot. I've invested a lot this year in new cameras and new equipment and studying more on editing and producing and content and photography. I've, I've done so much stuff this year. It's insane. Like the amount of work I've put in. So really just looking forward to hopefully getting some, some return on all those investments I've made over this summer and time and energy and money and equipment and stuff like that. So that's right. We're at man. Like, uh, as of now we got two, we got two buck tags, me and Dylan, a couple of their guys got a couple buck tags as well. And, uh, mm-hmm. we're just going to see how it goes, man. Hopefully we can tag out pretty early, but as you know, it doesn't always go as you want it to. So we're just going to see how it goes. If we tag out early in, a, in our home state, we're probably going to go hit Ohio just cause it's mm-hmm. close to us. And it's like the cheapest, over-the-counter tag in the nation yeah that or illinois because i mean it's on both sides of us so Mm -hmm. we're hoping we can get to there but we gotta kill some bucks before we do that you know yeah that's kind of my goal this year is to when i tag out then i earn the right to go somewhere else and i'll go somewhere else and then when i tag you know i'll go from there we'll probably go back to kentucky for a couple days just because i've already spent the money on a tag so we'll probably bounce in there at some point during the rut we'll bounce in there during november at some point try to hopefully fill a tag there but yeah we're just gonna be grinding man just gonna be keeping after it and getting as much done as we can because you're head honcho right you're the one that started all this yeah you're like me and you are in the same boat of everything we want goal goal wise and everything yeah it's it's tough i mean i've got some good guys that i hunt with and jamo and boomer are great but i kind of had to learn that i'm the ceo of this situation and more or less they're just kind of there to help out and be a part of it and so it's a lot of weight to carry because i do all the editing all the investment you know i all the cameras are mine you know they each have good cameras to film with and gopros and all that and you know it's a lot of work it's a lot of investment you know but you know hopefully it'll pay off you know in the long run it's a long-term investment into 10 years down the road hopefully we're really have grown and make something of it yeah, then it sounds like you're probably like I am. Like, I would love to get my guys on that editing side. Like, Tyler, he's pretty good. He's he's interested in editing stuff, but I'm just picky, and I got a vision for what for what I want my videos to look like. So uh, I'm just gonna we're just gonna have to have some talks about that and like kind of yeah. edit it a little bit together so we get all of our videos. I mean, everybody's gonna have their own style of video because they're a mm. different person. So I mean, that's gonna obviously show through the the film. 
But I just kind of want that that style because yeah. I like the way like hunting public does stuff. I like the way Midwest whitetails does stuff, yeah. and I kind of just want to like I take ideas from everybody. I'll be the first one to admit it. If I like something from somebody, I think about that, and I'm gonna yeah. try to like put that in my own twist and in our own way. If you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Absolutely, yeah, and that's that's a big part of it. Letting your your creative artistic side, you know, it's it's hunting, but like I love to do the. And this is something this year, I finally have some cameras that I can actually work with to get the shots I want to get, to have the photographic videographer type stuff that's the cooler shots that take your, I feel like really take your videos from being just Jim Bob out in the backwoods with a mama's camcorder to really turning it into something that's like, dang, that was sick, you know, and that, that's what I'm shooting for. But I'm, I'm really, my buddy, uh, Jake Belinda which I think I talked about that on the live the other night, my buddy Jake, um, he has his channel that's going on. You can check him out on Facebook and Instagram. It's the void is his stuff, but dude, dude's next level photographer. He shot my wedding. Like he does amazing photography, amazing videography stuff. And like, I really am learning a lot from him and just watching and hanging out with him and spending time with him. He filmed for the untamed and like bunch of different guys as an intern and stuff like that. And he just has so much knowledge on the video side and editing side and all that. I've been really picking his brain a lot. So I think it's going to pay off. It's just got to keep getting better, man. Just keep getting better. Yeah. That's one thing with me. Like, luckily I had, I've had the filming bug and the photography bug my entire life. Like Mm -hmm. until I was probably 15 or 16, like my job was going to be an animal videographer and an animal photographer. Like people find that kind of weird. Like you're a hunter and you just want to go take pictures Mm -hmm. of animals. Like, dude, I'm an, I'm an animal lover. Like that's what I did Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Studied animals, watched all these documentaries about animals. Like people will start talking about animals and I just have so much random facts about so many animals because that's what I wanted to do. And uh, honestly, luckily, my dad, he was he was all about like getting memories of the family. And he always had a video camera. And when I was like, fuck, dude, I want to say I was like six or eight years old. First time I started carrying a camera by myself. And that was a VHS shoulder camera. Yep. That's what I started with, man. My my mom's old video camera that we would freaking had the VHS tapes. That's my first self-film kill was I was 13 years old and I had a tripod set up between my legs on a climber and yeah. I filmed my first self film kill when I was 13 years old. And honestly, I don't know that I've killed one. I think there's only like three deer that I've killed in the last 10 years that were not on camera. Like yeah. killed 20, 24 deer with a compound. And I've only ever killed like 13 deer with a gun, but I've killed 20 25 24 with a bow and awesome dude like i've self-filmed all but like one of them yeah the problem with like my properties that i've grown up especially since i've been here in indiana they were rough properties and i mean i could have kept the bow but usually on those properties i get one or two opportunities a year and that's it so once gun season came around i was grabbing that gun make my odds better Mm. and uh so i didn't get a whole lot of cracks with the bow but this year i think i'm gonna stick strictly to bow i don't Think I'm going to break out the gun. We'll see how it goes. See how the season goes before I say that for sure. Yeah, but uh, it's just more meaningful when you kill them with a bow. And I've, I mean, I've killed dozens of dozens of deer with a, a gun. I mean, I've killed over 30 deer with a gun. And yeah, I've killed. Yeah, yeah counting only- like exotics and boars and stuff. I've killed about 15 animals with a, a bow. Yeah, heck yeah. 
Yeah, no, to me, like, even in gun season up here, like, I'll go out opening day, like, I'll take my nephews out with a gun or something, but generally, if I'm just hunting during rifle season, I still just go with a bow. I just, yeah. to me, I've I've killed deer, big deer with a rifle, and I'm just like, meh, whatever. It was cool. Yeah. But, Hell yeah, man. Uh, obviously, me and you could talk forever. Yeah, so we, we just, could chat for six hours. <laughs> yeah, but I got a couple... Yeah, I'd say we could do a six-hour podcast. I guarantee it. Just cover every topic that we we yeah. cover, especially because we're diehards about it, man. That's what we love. Yeah. You, you got that new passion after rodeo, and, and uh, yeah. I, I love to see that. But I I want to hit you with a couple rapid-fire questions before we get yep. off here. Yeah. All right. So you got one week to hunt. Everybody asks this question: What week you picking? I'm picking the tenth through the seventeenth in the midway. No. Oh, okay. In November, I'm guessing. Yep, November. November 10th through the 17th. It would be yeah. to want to be in the woods. Okay, definitely can't beat that. And uh, you've hunted a bunch of states. What's your favorite state, man? If you could only hunt one state the rest of your life, what are you picking? Man, I would say, I mean, I've never hunted Iowa, but I've always wanted to hunt Iowa. But I feel like mm-hmm. that would change my perspective. But uh, honestly, Indiana, dude, like that property has got me so spoiled out there. Like, I love it. Um I love Indiana. I like. And don't get much pressure, dude. It gets public pressure. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like most of these states. Yeah, yeah. I'm very interested in like. I love the property that we hunt, but also like, I would love to. I would love to hunt, and that's kind of what I'm hoping this year is like I can get in there and kill quick in Indiana, and then be able to film one of the other guys hunting public land. That would be really what I would love to do. Um, but I like it. I love Indiana because it has that potential to be a big, you can kill giants, you know, but yeah. it's got, I like the topography of it. I love the, the terrain, the, the ditches, the hardwoods, the swamps, the, all the different stuff. There's a lot of different stuff going on there. So yeah, probably Indiana. Yep. I'm, I'm right there with you, dude. Like after going to Kentucky and then I went and hit some Indiana public, checked some cans. Dude, it's just different. I'm, I mean, I've hunted for 10 years straight, so I know it. Yeah, the amount of deer sign I saw in that little chunk, just going to check one camera, saw like seven deer, a couple bucks, just walking through. Wasn't looking for them, walking quick mm-hmm. just to check it. But uh, yeah, Indiana's just, it's just awesome, dude. There's everything you can think of on these Midwest whitetails, topography and ag land and all that. 100%. All right, so grunt or rattle? I would say both. I've killed deer grunting them in. I've killed deer rattling them in. Um, if I just had one, I would say grunt probably. Um, yeah. because But knowing when to grunt is the biggest thing. Like a lot of guys, man, I see it in videos all the time. They'll see a buck with a doe and they'll start grunting at him. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, that's the dumbest thing you can do. If you see a cruiser with no doe, grunt at him. But the yeah. second he hears a grunt, and he's got a doe, he's intentionally going to take her away from you because he's going to look where that grunt came. And unless you have a decoy out, he's not going to see a, a threat and he's just going to cruise off away from there. You know, and knowing when to grunt and when not to grunt, same with snort wheeze. Like I've killed deer. I've had deer come into five yards on a snort wheeze, you know, but knowing when to snort wheeze and not snort wheeze, same difference, you know. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what's like the, I don't know how I'm going to word this, but what's like the one factor that you look at the most? The moon, there's the temperature drops, there's like the time of the year. Like if you had to pick one, like to focus it on to go mm-hmm. hunt or like rain, precipitation, all that, like what would you pick? I would say, I would say probably just 
I wouldn't even say a cold, cold front, but just like a drop in temperature, like a change in weather. A change in weather I found is a very, and that can be early season, that can be late season, that can be, you know, storms coming in. I feel like deer are going to be moving before and after. I feel like in the winter, like if you, in November, you know, and we've killed, I mean, we killed four Pope and Youngs on literally within the same few days and it went from 75 degrees dropped to 30 degrees and we saw like barely any buck activity and then all of a sudden boom that temperature dropped deer were on their feet now it didn't drop to 10 degrees but it dropped from 70 to 30 and deer were moving so i would say any any significant change in weather i feel like before and after that like deer are going to be moving like that's yeah. what I like to, that's when I think, okay, that's going to be a day I'm going to kill one. I'd agree with that. And we got a cold front moving in this weekend for youth weekend and Kentucky because we're going to start. Dylan's going to hunt Friday and Saturday. I'm just going to be able to hunt Saturday. I'm going to go up to the cabin uh, after work Friday. So I think it moves in Thursday or Friday and like the high goes from uh, it's like 85 or 90 to a 75. And then the drop of uh, the lows going from like a 60 to a 45. So it's a pretty good change for yeah. the time of year. Yeah, they'll be on their feet. Okay, and uh, what's your favorite food source, man? I know you're mostly hunting these public, but you got private too. So like between yeah. agland and acorns uh, and shoot, man, I would natural say, browse. Yeah, I would say it depends on the time of year. You know, if I'm in Kentucky, I'm aiming for beans. You know, if that that first first part of the season, I'm looking for green and beans. So like alfalfa, good hay source, clover, beans in the fall. You know, corn standing corn um late season standing beans or corn and if i'm hunting public i'm looking for those dropping oak flats with natural brows you know it all kind of would depend on where i'm at you know those big oak benches i love i've killed some good deer on big oak flats you know where they're coming in dropping acorns on white oaks um in pa that's probably our main our main food source would be white oak flats, you know? Okay. And yeah, there's, there's multiple different oaks out there as uh, you know, like, have you mm -hmm. noticed what a deer would gravitate towards the most? Yeah. I mean, obviously it depends on the, the property, but yeah. White oaks, a hundred percent. If there's, if there's 10 acres of, you know, up here, a lot of times on public land, you're going to see tons and tons of acorns and you'll see red oaks, black oaks, rock oaks, whatever you call them. And they'll be dropping acorns like crazy. And you come to one little spot where there's two white oaks dropping acorns, that's where the deer are going to be. They're going to be on those three white oak trees. I've noticed that too. And uh, they just to kind of go back. They're tox they have like a bitter toxic or toxicity, uh, acidic flavor to them, I guess, supposedly. Huh. I actually was walking through mom and dad's property today, just setting up a couple cameras, haven't had cameras on it all year. And the persimmons were blooming in a couple spots, so I snatched one and ate mm. one of those. So that, that's also a pretty good food source, especially on yeah. this property. Yeah, we don't have – I don't know that I've ever seen those up here. Yeah, I don't know what it is, man. We just enrolled the, our family property into CRP, and the predominant natural tree that grows is your American persimmon. That's cool. That's yep. cool. Early – October apple trees are pretty good, too. You find you an apple tree, those are – that's a – we have a couple little – hidey holes out in the middle of the swamp on some public land that we happened to find us a couple uh 
couple apple trees last year and those paid off pretty good there's yeah, like i've heard pa has quite a bit of apple trees old johnny apple seed must have made his way through there quite often yeah he was walking <laughs> along drip dropping him around you know <laughs> yeah man but tim dude i appreciate you enjoyed talking to this because i'm just getting into some ground and pound you definitely made me think of some stuff and i'm gonna uh think about that and put that into my arsenal so i appreciate yeah. you joining me tonight brother you bet man anytime i love it I love love talking it. I could talk for six hours about it. So, yeah. When you put a bug down, man, I'm gonna have to have you on again. Heck yeah, man. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go smack one, and then we'll do it again. Yes, sir. So, uh, where can people find you at, or find uh, your hunting page and stuff at one more time? Um, so our our YouTube channel is Generations Outdoors. Um, of course, it's on YouTube, and then our Instagram is Generations Outdoors two four seven um and then my personal page is rodeo adrenaline um so any of those that's where you find us we most of our hunting content we keep updated on the generations outdoor stuff and on, on our instagram that's where our daily updates stuff we're doing pictures stuff like that's going on and then kind of my more personal life is my personal rodeo adrenaline page but yeah generations outdoors 247 on instagram our youtube links on there all that so yeah yeah definitely check out the youtube man i love what you guys are doing on the video side and everything yeah. as well so they got some great videos one of your guys shot a stud kentucky velvet buck yeah. last year so definitely want to check that out yeah that was pretty sick so yeah check us out and uh hopefully this year we'll be putting out the best content we've ever made so we're gonna get after it Yes, sir, man. I'm right there with you. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll definitely stay in touch, brother. Keep in touch and uh, looking forward to seeing what you put down this year. Thanks, man. Y'all too, man. We'll keep in touch. We'll see you later, dude. Yes, sir. Yep. Peace.